Hey, last week we had a guest speaker here by the name of Ed Carlson from Papua Nui Baptist Church in Christchurch. And uh, Ed talked to us about the, the mission that is continuing on in Christchurch. And obviously with the, with the earthquake, uh, it's very easy for a church to become buried, buried in its uh, administration. And Ed said to me that there are two sorts of churches now in Christchurch, those that are rebuilding buildings and those that are building people. And those that build people will outlive and outwork those who build buildings. It's such a, such a defining time for Christchurch, and it's a defining time for our nation. But Ed was telling us how the mission of God continues on and how we need to continue to share our faith. And uh, just this last week, I picked up on... Um, any of you have got a, a smartphone? Most people have smartphones these days. And uh, you can pick up an app now which uh, helps you share Jesus. Okay, so if you just go onto the App Store, Share Christ, and I picked up a couple of apps, one that talks about the bridge illustration and another one that talks about goes through the Scriptures in Romans, the Roman road. So if you want to, you can you know, share. This is your phone. Hey, it's just... Uh, Noah, your son is dressed, and I can't convince him to tuck his pants in. Okay, there you go. <laughs> I won't say what else she said, but <laughs> uh, you wouldn't want to say that either. Um, <laughs> anyway, the um, the apps are there, so they just have them handy, help you share your faith. So that's a really good thing. Well, this morning we're going to continue on and looking at the, the gifts of the Spirit and what it means to uh, be a church that is more than just a group of people who hold on to a good idea, that being that heaven waits for those who put their faith in Jesus, but actually are a group of people who are saying we are empowered by the Spirit of God. We are people who live daily knowing God's presence and power in our lives. And this is why the series is called From Him, For Him. But this morning we're looking at how it is that the, the gifts of the Spirit impact us on a daily basis. And therefore, I'm just calling this message simply doing church. You see, this morning we're going to look at how the Apostle Paul described the use of spiritual gifts within the context of a church service. We're going to discover some things about the context of that church service in first century Corinth, which is ultimately a world apart from where we are today. But Paul invested into the Scriptures some timeless truths on how it is that we are a spiritual people, the people of God, together. Now, church is an unusual environment, isn't it? It really is. It's a gathering place of people from different ages, stages, cultures, uh, different uh, socioeconomic backgrounds, different education, and yet we're all blended together because of one thing. We all want to know more about Christ and His plan in and for our lives. Now, there is no such thing as a perfect church. How many of you have found the perfect church yet? I understand that this church used to be perfect before I turned up, but I know that uh, in the last 18 so years it has been less than perfect. And that's just the nature of church. This last week, uh, my son was down from, what, from Wellington, and uh, he was looking for a new car. And so I spent a little bit of time with him. We looked at a vehicle and we said, hey, this is, this is going to go work perfectly. And so we bought this car. Now, when you buy a car, there are a number of things you've got to put into, into consideration. Firstly, you've got to work out what sort of car you want. Ideally, you don't want something that breaks down. 
Ideally, you don't want something that costs you the earth unless you can afford to pay the earth. Uh, you want something that is in good condition so that it um, won't cost you more money in the future. You want something that's practical. Uh, for a, maybe a single young guy, a sports car could be good. Uh, for somebody who's been blessed with 12 kids, you know, a, a van and a trailer could be helpful. So we find ourselves now looking around, trying to work out what it is that suits each one of us. And a church is very similar. You've got to say, what is it that works for me in this time? And it means that when we go looking for churches, as you do these 50-odd churches in the city, for example, um, usually you find that churches are corporate personality types that make sense. Because every one of us has different preferences in respect to what we want for a vehicle. And if we look out in the car park, we'll see little ones, tall ones, big ones, four-by-fours, uh, old ones, clean ones, dirty ones, it all goes on. And so churches are also a collection and a reflection of the people that are within them. And therefore churches try to hold together some form of corporate culture in respect to who they are and where they're heading. And the illustration of a car serves quite well for that. But looking, if you like, for the perfect church is a myth. I was talking to some pastors in Auckland uh, a couple of years back now. They estimate that between 15 and 20,000 people in Auckland just cycle around different churches. Spiritual gypsies who just go from one place to another to another to another. And uh, it'll be a, 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 a sort of a, a pilgrimage, if you like, from Life Church, and then they went to St. Paul's, and then it's the Edge Kingsland, and now it's the Equippers Church. And uh, we, at the last Baptist Assembly just last week, we had Bishop Justin Duckworth come and speak to us. He's the new Bishop of Wellington, the guy with the dreads and the bare feet. And he highlighted the same thing in Wellington. He said, you know, many years ago it was the Elam Church that was the popular one, then it was the Rock, and then it was the Street, and now it's Arise. And he says, you've got spiritual gypsies, people who float around looking for the perfect church. And that's the, that's the challenge, isn't it? is that there is no such thing as a perfect church. But I'd suggest that what people are actually doing is they're walking around saying, can I find a church that does it for me? That it does it for me. Now, I find that quite challenging because when I look in the scriptures, I find that the reason Christ died for us is that so that Jesus could do it for us. And my relationship with God is built upon what I do on a, a daily basis, not what I get out of a church service. A church service should enhance, encourage, and strengthen my walk with Jesus. But um, sometimes I'm reminded of this little picture in my mind uh, of what spiritual gypsies look like. Yeah, have you ever seen birds in a nest when they're looking for a feed and they're just sitting there with their mouths open squawking? There's 15 to 20,000 of them wandering around Auckland. And folks, we've got to make sure that we recognize what church is for. Church is for the building, the strengthening of the saints, for encouraging one another, for doing life together and encouraging others in our walk with Jesus. But it really is important that you take personal responsibility for your walk with the Lord or else you'll end up just struggling because no church is ever going to satisfy. Only Jesus satisfies. Now we are the body of Christ and we help and strengthen one another but we've got to get this side of things right. The other th thing about, um, about a church is that it gives opportunity for people to grow and to serve. 
and it helps define people's faith. Because when, you, when we're mixing in a group of, um, a group of uh, believers, we realize what our strengths are and what our own weaknesses are. And so it's very important for us to work out where we fit into the body. And some people have a, a great way with children, and they're just passionate about kids. And so they'll spend their time with the children. Others love music, as we see our folks up here this morning leading us in music. And so it goes on. Others love the gift of administration. Others love working with teenagers. Others love working with older folks. Others love just praying for people. Others love doing mission work. Others like leading and teaching in small groups. And so it goes on. But it's so important for us to find our fit. I'm reminded of how Jesus looked at the Apostle Peter. He said, You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, that was a massive call upon the Apostle Peter's life, and we, we record that throughout history. But I'm asking you the question this morning. Could you put your name into that place instead of saying, you are Peter? Could, you say, you are, could Jesus say, you are Ross, and upon this rock I will build my church? You see, it's very important for each one of us, as we've been looking through the, the Scriptures over the last couple of weeks, to identify how it is that the body works together. And we need to be able to be there for God and there for one another. Putting ourselves in that place of learning, of being uh, encouraged and encouraging others. That's essentially what church is all about. Now, when it comes to church and how we do church, there's always this question as to whether we're doing it right or doing it wrong, whether we could do more of this or less of that. But the first thing we've got to realize is that God has always ordained order, some form of order, in the life of the, of the church or when the saints gather or when people gather to meet. And different churches do this in different ways. But let's have a look at how the early church did it in the very first century. It says here in Acts chapter 2, 42, it says they, that's the apostles, devo- sorry, they, the believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So right from the outset, there was this order. Now Luke, who wrote this this book of Acts, uh, he picked up on the traditions that were quickly put into place in Jerusalem after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he found that naturally people wanted to be together. And so what he's reflecting upon here is that they met in a big group and uh, they listened to the apostles' teaching and they broke bread together and they prayed together. But it also says that they broke bread and prayed together in their own homes. So there was a, a split focus here. They met together in a large group, but they also met together in small groups. And I really must say, I must really emphasize this, is that every person in an ideal scenario should be in a small group environment to strengthen their Christian walk. It's something that is easily overlooked in our busy world, isn't it? Our busy lives. We say, well, I go to church on Sunday, but I just don't have time for anything else. The reason why we need small groups to meet is because we there find mutual accountability and mutual strengthening, 
and the opportunity to express the spiritual gifts, in many cases, um, what we've learnt and how we're wired gets expressed in a small group environment. So, for example, as we looked a couple of weeks ago, spiritual gifts are found really powerfully outworked in a small group environment where it's safe. Somebody might have a word from the Lord, a prophecy, and these things can be tested in in a small group. We're going to look a little bit more intensely today at how Paul describes the use of glossalia, that's the technical term for the for the gift of tongues, in other words, bringing another language and having someone interpret that as an utterance from God. These things are best expressed and best learned and best practiced in a small group environment. Now, there are many churches that essentially are like a small group environment. One of the challenges that we face in the life of this church is that as we've grown, we've had to sacrifice some things. I know that 18 years ago when I first arrived at this church and we were in the community hall, it was far easier just for people to bring some spontaneous words of encouragement. Now we're running two to three services and uh, lots of different folks. And as the church community grew, that became a lot harder to manage. And so that's the, a real challenge for us, is how do we bring order and worship. When I say manage it, um, <laughs> when we first moved into our new building, uh, we had um, some folks come in who, who really were um, off the wall and uh, yelling out prophecies from, uh, from the back of the church, saying some real crazy stuff. And so we said, look, we've got to do better than what we're doing. And so, you know, I'm more than happy, as the elders are and other staff, to receive from people what it is others say that the Lord is saying to them and to us as a church. And we, we work that into the life of the church by virtue of um, hearing what the Spirit is saying together. So that's very, very important. When we look at the Old Testament, we find that there was also order in worship. In fact, it was very, very orderly. God was trying to create a people for himself that was separated out from the mainstream of culture. So let's have a look at just one, little, one tiny little portion of how pe- what people would do when they came into the temple. What have we got there? Phil, can you help me out there? Um, we've got a lockdown here. Okay. I'll read this verse to you. It'll come up in a minute. I've got it here in front of me. This is our Leviticus. Just here it is. When someone brings a grain offering to the Lord, his offering is to be of fine flour. He is to pour oil on it, put incense on it, and take it to Aaron's sons, the priests. The priest shall take a handful of the fine flour and oil, and together with all the incense, and burn this as a memorial portion on the altar an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering belongs to Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the offerings made to the Lord by fire. So here's a very, very defined way in which you bring an offering into the temple and you uh, this fine flour and has certain elements mixed in it and that is burnt as an offering. Now you can see how specific this was. So there's always this specificity around worship because God in himself says, hey, this is who I am and I should be treated with this level of honor or this level of respect. And it's this which drives a lot of Paul's thinking. He's saying, look, we shouldn't be just a a group of people who are just in a schmozzles, just a ragtag bunch of crazies when we meet together. We've got to honor the living God. So that's a challenge for us. One of the big challenges that was in Corinth at the time, and we're going to have a look at this, this text in Corinth in a moment, is that Corinth 
in its day, was probably one of the most multicultural places on earth. Uh, Corinth, as many of you may know, is um, right in a little place called the, right next to the Corinthian Channel. Greece is, a, is connected to Europe, but there's a, a part of Greece that drops down like a big teardrop. It's called the Peloponnesos. And there is only a little land bridge there of a couple of kilometers long that separates the Peloponnesos from the rest of Greece. And Corinth was at this junction point. And the reason why it was such a popular place is because ships were able to be carried over land, over land, right through the middle of the city of Corinth uh, to avoid them doing this big circuit right around the bottom of the island. And so therefore, there were all sorts of traders trading and there were different cultures mixing. And it was this mixture of culture that caused so much of a challenge when Paul came and established the church there. It's a little bit like mixing oil and water. And this is the big challenge for the church. This is the big challenge for the church 2,000 years ago as it is today. You see, it was far easier in the Old Testament times when you had a defined group of people, the Hebrew people, the people of Israel. They were raised up to reflect God in one certain style. Now the church is a mixture of cultures. And people were saying, this is my preference over this, over this preference. This is how I'd like to worship. This is how we do things. This is how we treat men. This is how we treat women. This is how we treat children. And all that is thrown together in a mix. So let's have a look at how it is that we find Paul describing the use of spiritual gifts to this community. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26 to 40. What then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn, or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop, for you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. As in the congregations of the saints, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should Ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. Now I'm going to come back and explain that in a moment. As I'll tell you in a moment, about two months ago we spent quite a bit of time looking at this similar passage. Did the word of God originate with you, or are you the only people it has reached? If anybody thinks he is a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge that what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. If he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. And it's this final verse there, being done in a fitting and orderly way, which Paul mentions two times in this short passage of Scripture. Clearly what was going on in Corinth, Paul wasn't happy with. Uh, We've already looked at this group of people and we've seen how it is that they ran a communion service. Their communion service was nothing but a riot, a drunken riot. 
Remember what was going on? They had people turning up, the wealthy people turning up with heaps of food and heaps of wine. And they were chug-chug-clugging away and uh, drinking the food, uh, eating the food and drinking the drink. And then others would turn up with their, their little bit of food because they were poor and they were being ignored and disregarded. And Paul said, this is just totally wrong. We have to be a body. We have to do this together. Now, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, uh, about six, eight weeks ago, I talked about um, first Corinth, from 1 Corinthians 11 what it is that Paul was saying about women. So I'll just pick up on this first. Remember what he's just told to us. And then look at this. It says here, In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as the woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. It is proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair is a disgrace to him? Now, now, what we looked at last time was firstly that it says here in verse 12, when a woman prays. Okay, so we've got no problem with women praying in church. Okay, later on Paul says it's a disgrace for a woman to talk in church. Well, we've got a tension here. The tension is a cultural tension. It also talks here about women having her head covered because if she's got short hair, it was something of a disgrace to God. Now, what was going on in Corinth at the time is that there was this... Uh, uh, essentially a prostitution cult. Uh, the, the biggest temple in town was dedicated to the goddess Aphrodite, and literally thousands of prostitutes used to come out and ply their trade in the name of their god. And it seems that they were identified, the women were identified as being prostitutes because they had short, short hair. And that was just a cultural thing that was going on in the day. So Paul says in the church, we need to cover our hair, head. And also goes on to talk about men, you don't have long hair and look like women. Okay, so he's trying to distinguish this and say, look, there's a, there's a decency and an order in the life of the church. But as we looked at, these things weren't time-bound. They were culturally driven. They weren't time-bound, but culturally driven. Now, of course, decency and an order is time-bound. In other words, we want to roll that out. But Paul is saying here, in the context of this city, this multicultural city, that we've got to do things that honor one another. Now, when you bring different cultures together, you've got all sorts of unwritten rules that are being outworked, aren't they? People, when they mix together, have different cultural standards and mores, and therefore, we have to be very, very sensitive to one another. Just last week, again, at the Baptist Assembly, we heard a fantastic story of a church in Otahuhu. Uh, the church in Otahuhu is a Baptist church, been going for uh, 134 years. And basically a white middle-class church that was slowly declining in number. But as the church uh, grew less and less, around it, the culture was changing. And they started to share their premises with other cultural groups. And so what they did, they decided that they'd get together. And so last week we commissioned this new church in the same building and it has three pastors. One's a European guy, the other guy is an Indian guy and the other guy is a Chinese. And the three cultures all mixed together 
now and do church together. And it was fascinating looking at some of the words, the songs that they had up on the screen. There was a photograph taken. There the words were in three different languages. Now, I'm not sure if they sing them all in their own language simultaneously. That would be interesting. Or whether they just take a turn learning each other's language. But this cultural mix, and it calls for high levels of sensitivity. Now, the cultural challenge in respect to the Corinthian church was that they had Jews who had never, ever allowed their women to be part of a church service as we understand it. But the other cultures were more comfortable with the role of women in their worship. And now here they are bringing all this together. So what do we do? We have to honor people when we say, look, we don't allow in this context, this mixed culture, for women to speak because that really, really offends this group of people. Now that was not time-bound, it was culturally bound. And this is the challenge that we face today. What is appropriate? What is inappropriate? And that's always going to be the challenge whenever we go into another culture. I remember listening to a guy talk about being a missionary in Bangladesh in a predominantly Muslim country. And he said, when we went into town, my wife walked behind me with a veil over about three metres behind. Okay? About three metres behind when he went to town to do the market, market shopping and that, which is the complete opposite of what happens in New Zealand, isn't it? Usually, <laughs> usually woman, when you take your husband shopping, he's three metres behind. All right? Gee, that was a word of truth, wasn't it? <laughs> so we always got to realize what it is that God is doing at any given time. And, and that's important. But what Paul is doing is he's creating a new culture that belongs to the church. Paul is creating a culture that belongs to the church. And there are some timeless lessons for meeting together. The first one is this. The first lesson that we take from Paul uh, is that we should come to bless. Okay? Come to bless. Paul says this. When then shall we, what then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. Now, <laughs> this is a real challenge for us, isn't it? Because what you're actually saying here is that when we meet together as believers, I come to give. I come to give. You know, what can happen so, so often is that we, we drag ourselves off to church, you know, with hallelujah, the All Blacks won this morning, and, um, and then we plonk ourselves into church, and the first thing we do is go, oh, I hate that song. It's too cold in here, too hot in here, too bright, too dark. And, and we start judging things. It's just so easy to do. But what Paul says is, when you arrive in church, come with an attitude to bless somebody, to greet somebody wholeheartedly, to get alongside them and, and maybe pray for them, have a word for them, encourage them. It's, it gives you a definition here of how small their churches were because it says we should, when you turn up, everyone should have a hymn. In other words, everybody should have a song. You know, maybe a song that you've written yourself or a little psalm from the Old Testament that you've, you're prepared to sing for people. And uh, it gives you an idea of the level of intensity and participation that happened in the life of these small groups of churches that were meeting in Corinth. But it's something that we, we need to own because we can't be a people who simply come here expecting everybody else to do it for us. You know, one of the things that I have a vision of, you know, and this is just a, you know, what could this church be like? You know, when we go and have coffee, 
I, I just have a vision of us having coffee and just being, able, being there to pray for one another. Wouldn't it be cool? Just really simple. When we're out there talking and saying, oh, how's your work going this week? Oh, gee, it's pretty tough, you know. That PSA spin-off's affecting my business, da-da-da. Hey, well, let's just have a quick word of prayer about that. That's not so hard, is it? You know? Costs less than the coffee. Okay? Probably bless you more than the coffee. But these are the things, if we, if we can take who we are and take it into natural places, normal places, these are the things that we should be able to do. Just bless one another and encourage one another. All right? It's, um, it's really important. So what other timeless lessons can we take? We, we, can, we need to be people of the Spirit. In this context, in this, these particular verses, Paul is talking about the, the use of the gift of tongues. And he says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. What he's talking about here is when we have the, this gift of utterance that brings another language to our lips, we need to be able to interpret that for somebody else. And this is the gift of tongues. It's an unusual phenomenon within the life of the Christian church. But what Paul is essentially saying from the bigger picture is that we need to be people of the Spirit. We need to be people who are willing to hear from God, willing to be used of God, not just willing to turn up and hope that somebody else who's done the hard yards, if you like, of listening to God and hearing from God does something for you. That's, that's cheating, really. It's a cheap, cheap way out. We need to be turning up and saying, okay, God, I'm with you, you're with me. How can I be a blessing to you and somebody else today? That's not a hard thing to ask, is it? Come on, agree with me. Say, that's, that's not too hard, is it? Yeah, no, no. Okay, well, I, I hope I believe you. But, um, but it's really important for us to be people of the Spirit. And something rolling out of this is that we need to be submitted to one another. There are no lone rangers in the church. Okay? Don't take your model from Old Testament prophets okay, who wandered the desert naked. We don't want any naked desert wanderers around here. Okay? We don't need that. But there is a model in the context of the Old Testament that serves us well. Essentially, a prophet, by and large, was a person in the household of God. They walked closely with everybody, and they could define reality. They could say, this is what God is saying. And quite simply, they're saying, if we continue on in this pattern, God's judgment is going to come upon us. But if we turn and we change our way in this direction, God's smile will be upon us. And that is somebody who works close and intensely in the life of the church, hearing the voice of God, mixing in the community, understanding the needs and the challenges of the people. That is somebody who works as a prophet, and it's very, very important. But as a, um, as a church, it's, it works this way. When we're in a group of, uh, of people who take responsibility for something, what we're actually saying is, what is God saying to us now? So when the youth group leaders get together, they're saying, what is it that God is saying to us? And everybody is submitted to one another. Hey, look, we believe this could be the, what God wants us to do. What do you think? Well, I feel the same way. Do you think that's God? I think that could be God speaking to us. Okay, well, let's test that. Let's test that. The same with uh, all the areas of the church. The eldership in the church was saying, Lord, what are you showing us? How are, we, how are we shaped up at the moment? What are we being shown? Where are we being led? 
and there's an agreement amongst us. The same with, you know, people who do music. Lord, what is it that's the music that you want us to bring this weekend? And so it goes on. There's agreement and there's mutual submission. And it's a really good thing. And in that culture, in that environment, those who want to grandstand or be lone rangers stand out because they just don't want to have agreement. They want to be sort of one person above everybody else. And that's not that mutual submission. So, um, in fact, I should have brought the scripture up there. It says there, two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop for you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. Another thing that about church life is that sometimes God gets the blame when things go crazy. Now what I mean by this is that the Apostle Paul was quite deliberate here when he said this. He said, The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the saints. It goes on. Okay? God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Now, we've probably been around, if you've been around long enough, you've probably had an experience of seeing somebody uh, who, who feels that they are under such a strong conviction from God that they have to be heard or they are acting in an unusual way and they say, this is God, I can't stop it, this is who I am. Now, that's not true. That's not true. Because Paul says that every person who's acting on behalf of God, speaking on behalf of God, um, is in control of themselves. The Holy Spirit does not come upon people and possess them. Does it make sense? We do not get possessed by the Holy Spirit. Okay? We are anointed by the Holy Spirit. We are filled with the Holy Spirit, but not possessed. Possession is a demonic thing. Okay? So this is why sometimes when there's a, a move of God around the world, people are saying, well, is that, is that God or the devil? Okay? Is that God or the devil? And it's a pretty valid question to ask because if people are getting up there saying, hey, look, um, this is, this is um, me speaking. I can't control myself. I've got to say this. That raises big questions in my mind. I, I got pointed to it, put to it onto a YouTube clip last week. Someone sent it to me of a um, sort of a, a big noted evangelist slash healer guy uh, in America and, uh, and I'm not speaking very nicely of him because of what I'm going to say. But um, a guy came up on stage who had bowel cancer. And um, he looks at this guy, he goes running over, jumps up in the air and kicks him in the stomach and says, God told me to do that. He's like, what? You know, if I was him, I'd say, well, God's just told me to call my lawyer. You know? That's rubbish, eh? Absolute rubbish. And, and see, the thing, no, I mean, I mean, seriously kicked him. This wasn't just a little, this wasn't just like an all black going like this on somebody's head like they did the other. <laughs> well, that's a bit naughty, eh? <laughs> um, <laughs> this was a serious kick. And he said, God told me. Well, that's just rubbish, you know? Put the guy in a padded cell, take him out in the desert, let him walk naked for a while, see how much of a prophet he is. You see, God's house is a house of order. It's also a house of challenge, intrigue, of mystery, of excitement, anticipation, hope, faith. It's also a place of tears, of challenge, of disappointment. But all of this comes together. 
in the house of God, but it's certainly not a house of, uh, of order. But then, of course, we, of disorder. But then, of course, we ask the question, how much order is too much? Well, here's a little synopsis, if you like, of a, a church in our city. Around about 15 years ago, there's a church that began called the Mosaic Church. started on a Wednesday night. And uh, basically, it was focused on young folks, young people, school leavers and above. And um, Wednesday night, and things are going really well. It's still going, it's a good church. I'm not bagging the church at all. Heck no. That wouldn't, it's the last thing I'd do. But um, I said to Michaela at the time, my wife, I said, I'm going to be really intrigued to follow this church's life as it starts to grow and mature. Because on a Wednesday, what happens is it put quite a lot of pressure on people who do music because they have to run from work and then do the music. The service started at 7. And so that was true. There was a bit of pressure there. I understood this. And then what happens is that these young people were gathering a meeting and as God would ordain, young people sort of look at each other across the room and the Holy Spirit falls and they fall in love. And so they get married and then next thing they're married and guess what happens? Wow, miracle. Babies are born. And then somebody says, well, where's the crash? Who's going to look after my kids? Who's going to look after the Sunday school? So it was only a matter of time before the social dynamics started to impact upon this church. And so guess what they did? They moved to Sunday. But not Sunday morning, Sunday evening. And so what they'd do is they'd have a meal together and then they'd worship. And so you'd bring along little Johnny and uh, feed him up with sausages and put him in the Sunday school. But what happened, of course, is that this starts to break into family bedtime for the little kids. Quite a challenge. And so they said, you know, we've got to come up with a better idea. And now they meet Sunday at 10.30 in the morning. Now, I really respect these guys. They've done a great job over the years. And what they were doing is they were trying to push the boundaries, the sociological boundaries. But there's certain dynamics that come to bear upon a group of people. And when our, our life uh, structure is patterned around a weekend, like it is in New Zealand and a lot of the West, these are the things that end up driving us forward. Now, people come to me and they say, Craig, why is it that we always start church with a song or songs? You know, well, what's actually going on in many respects is we're saying, Lord, we worship you while people are coming. God, we know everybody's late. God, we thank you that we can stand here and sing until the church is filled with the saints. What do you reckon? That was spontaneous. That must have been of the Lord. <laughs> I can remember uh, 20-something years ago, my pastor Stuart Hanna at Otomoto Baptist Church, he'd had enough of this. And so what he did is... Um, at 10 o'clock, the start of the service, everybody was in the church, or some people were in the church, and he locked the doors. <laughs> and he started with communion. And I can remember looking over my shoulder, seeing all these people staring through the window <laughs> as the saints focused in on the body and the bread of Christ, and the solemn thing, as uh, demons manifested in the car park because, yeah, let me in, let me in. Stuart said he got lots and lots of love letters that week. <laughs> so, yes, there's a sociological factor in respect to how we do church and why we do it the way we do it. And a lot of it comes back to, the, to ill discipline, if you like. You know, if everybody was here at 10 o'clock, ramped up, ready to go, 
the music team would probably run away in unbelief. They wouldn't know what's going on. But the other side of the coin too is that you know, people say, Craig, when things, you know, in church and we just have a real sense of God with us and, and you know, you've preached up a, a really good sermon, you know, probably once every three or four years, um, why don't we just stay and worship longer? You say, well, there are 30 to 40 people trying to organize a couple of hundred kids on the other side of the building. And we need to honor them. We can't say, hey, God, just, just takes on a wonderful worship journey and uh, have all your children manifesting out the back, all these horrible things, climbing up the walls, you know, trying to get out. They're hungry. They've had enough. And uh, I can guarantee pretty soon all the Sunday school workers will quit. And, uh, you know, and, you know, that's just the way it is. We've got to honor people. And so we see these other factors that come in uh, in respect to the structure of our service. There's certain things that we can do. We can mix it up, change it around, do certain things, but there's only so much that you can do in the context of an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday. So these are the challenges that we face. Uh, So time of day, order of service. So for Paul, the reason why he wanted to talk so strongly in this way to the church is that he was wanting to create a culture in the church that allowed people of different ethnicity to blend together. To be the church, to be a group of people who were there for God, there for one another, tuned into God, tuned into one another. And this is the dynamic that we need to hold on to in church, is that we can turn up and be tuned into God and forget about others, or we can be there for others and forget about God. But the whole idea of church life is that we strengthen one another. And to strengthen one another, there needs to be a degree of order. Of course, disorder is God's, is God's choice. And sometimes there are things that happen and we say, hey God, we're just running with this because you know, we know that you're up to something different. But I find that this is one of the greatest challenges in church life. Is that people want different things. You know, why can't they sing my favorite hymn more often? You know, how come their preacher preaches so long? Could they change the temperature up a little bit or down a little bit? Can we get the volume up a little bit or the volume down a little bit? You know, why doesn't he preach on my favorite subject? Everybody knows Jesus is returning next week, so why doesn't he tell tell them about it? And so these are the challenges that we all face together. But there is a a God-honoring, within the context of doing church life together that comes from mutual submission one to another, recognizing that there is no such thing as a perfect church, but we do serve a perfect God. And an imperfect people and a perfect God can go perfectly well together as long as we are honoring one another and respecting what it is that God is saying to us and doing with us, for us, and through us at any given time. Let's be the church. Let's stand up. We're just going to finish uh, today. See, we're breaking with tradition. We're going to finish with a prayer. No song this morning. I sung the song to you already. Let's pray. Father, as we stand here together, there's a sense in which we often, when we close our eyes, that we're on our own. It's just you and me, God. You know me so well. You formed me. You created me. You made me to be who I am. But Lord, together when we're here, There's something that strengthens us. 
Just the sense of belonging that we have. The sense of being known by others and being able to bring my incomplete self to you and being strengthened by my incomplete brother or sister who's to my left or right. Lord, together we are strong. On our own, we are weak. But we can be a people of God who honor you first, serve one another, and then build your kingdom through the extension of the work that we do. Lord, the church was your idea. We think of how it could have been when you were raised from the dead. And then if you didn't call us to be together as the bride of Christ, Lord, we would have been very dispirited, isolated and marginalized, and never fully understood who you are. God, we're called to be a a spiritual people, a people who hear your voice, speak into each other's lives, strengthen each other. We're called to be a people who who are encouraging to one another, who arrive here with a a song in our heart, ready to give, ready to, to express your love one to another. And so for all of these reasons, Lord, we gather together today and we'll gather together next week and we say, Lord, thank you for the church. Thank you for the order. Thank you that we can be ourselves and thank you that in the midst of us, you are changing each one of us and all of us. Father, we say your church is a a wonderful thing to belong to and we're just so grateful that you said, let it be and that you love it so deeply and so dearly. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.